Hello and welcome to the Arate podcast. My name is Richard Triggs and today's guest is Dr. Shane Kelly, CEO of the Marta Miscordia Health Services, Brisbane. Well, it's hard to believe that we're already up at podcast number 10. And what a great bunch of people we've had on so far. And certainly Shane Kelly is no exception. But before we get into that conversation, let me tell you a little bit about Arate and the motivations for this podcast for those people who haven't listened before. Arate is a Greek word that means the fulfillment of one's full potential. And the idea of this podcast is to get on guests who have achieved great outcomes in terms of their own career and have a talk to them about lessons learned along the way, key achievements, and any particular insights that they might be able to share so that those people listening who also want to achieve their full career potential can learn from those who have walked the path before them. Arate Executive is my own business. We're an executive recruitment company that recruits CEOs, senior executives, and non-executive directors for our clients throughout Australia. If you're interested in learning more about our services, please visit our website. There'll be a link in the show notes. I'd also encourage you to join our LinkedIn group, the CEO Incubator, which at the time of this recording is roughly 1,500 members. And it's a great way for you to network with your peers across industry, as well as getting priority access to vacancies that Arate Executive promote through that group, uh, both in the executive and board space before they get to the open job market. It's a free group to join, so just do a search in LinkedIn for CEO Incubator and apply to join the group, which I will happily uh, authorise. Anyway, let's get on with our conversation now and let me introduce to you Shane Kelly. Dr. Shane Kelly commenced in his role of CEO with Marta Health Services in July 2015. Prior to this appointment, he had an extensive career as a CEO and in senior leadership roles within both the private and public health sectors in Western Australia. He has a medical degree from the University of Western Australia, as well as an MBA and a Masters of Public Health. Shane is married and he has two young children. Enjoy this conversation with Dr. Shane Kelly. Thanks very much for joining us uh, on the uh, Arate podcast, Shane. Um, this uh, the purpose of the podcast is really to have a chat to you about your career and yep. it's for people who are potentially aspiring to hold similar roles in the future to listen to those who've walked the path before them and uh, learn some lessons and potentially get some tips to accelerate their own career journey. So I suppose just to begin with, perhaps you can let us a little know a little bit about your current role and the martyr and, and so on. Yeah. So I've been at um, the helm of uh, MARTA Health Services for about three months now. Um, I've come from Perth and um, born and bred and, and educated and worked in Perth and this is my first venture out of uh, the state of Western Australia. All right. Um, and I was particularly interested in the MARTA Health Service because it's uh, in health circles it's got a, a very good reputation. Mm -hmm. and. Um, 
Uh, I've worked in not-for-profit uh, Catholic healthcare organisations previously mm -hmm. at St John of God Healthcare uh, in WA and um, uh, got to know the, the then CEO of the Martyr and uh, a bit about the Martyr and uh, and it's you know it's an iconic organisation in sure. Queensland and uh, it was um, pretty keen to uh, put it put up my hand when the uh, when the opportunity came up so. Uh, one thing led to another, and here I am three months later, and Great. really loving it. Excellent. And so, perhaps, can you give us a bit of a an idea of the scope of the role in terms of headcount and you know the size of the organisation, etc. Yeah. So, it's it's a complex organisation in in so far as it's got lots of elements to it. It's not just a private hospital. It's um, it's um, private healthcare plus publicly funded healthcare. We have a large contract with uh, Queensland Health and have had for a long time. Um, so adults uh, and uh, and some um, paediatric services, which I'll come back to, but uh, also very large in maternity services. Mm -hmm. uh, we're the, um, the largest uh, maternity service in the country with uh, about 10,000 deliveries per annum. We had our two kids here. You had your two kids here? <laughs> <laughs> very good. I hope it was a great experience. It was an excellent experience. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, terrific team and highly skilled. It's the only... What we call a level three uh, nursery, which is the high end, uh, looking after uh, um, small babies uh, okay. in uh, in the country, uh, and uh, so that's part of its iconic uh, status for the organisation. So we have a number of um, hospitals on this main campus in South Brisbane, uh, as I said, providing publicly funded uh, healthcare as well as private healthcare. Um, and um, we did up until recently um, provide a, a fairly large um, public contract for uh, children uh, for paediatric services. Okay. Um, but um, uh, as I'm sure most Queenslanders are aware, um, the Lady Salento Hospital was, um, was built uh, and the two uh, paediatric tertiary service providers um, being at the Royal and being at Marta, um, uh, ceased to be and the services were uh, all put into the Lady Salento Hospital which happens to be right next door to us. Sure, okay. Um, but we also have um, a large uh, medical research institute and a highly regarded one, a very successful one, uh, and we have an education arm to our organisation as well mm -hmm. and also um, the Marta Foundation which um, uh, is the philanthropic arm of the organisation and particularly... Um, provides uh, great uh, funds towards ongoing medical research. Mm -hmm. And apart from the main campus here, we have uh, a hospital in Redlands, uh, and we have just this week opened a new one in Springfield. Right. Which is, um, I think, uh, a great opportunity for us and lots of potential for growth sure. there as well. Well, certainly Springfield is a rapidly growing community. I imagine that they will have a good use for your quality of healthcare there. Yeah, it's been warmly welcomed by the community mm. and um, uh, and I'm sure that they'll be wanting us to expand the range of services that we provide there. Mm -hmm. We've already had uh, people uh, knock on the door and say, do you have a maternity service? Right. If not, when are you going to have one? Sure. Uh, Hopefully so. within the next nine months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, some of them are planning ahead. Right, so, okay. Yeah, uh, but apart from all of those <clears> things, we also uh, have imaging services and pathology services and... Uh, 
and so we're quite a comprehensive uh, mm. healthcare provider mm. uh, for um, for South East Queensland. Fantastic. Well, look, uh, where I like to begin with this uh, podcast is really going back to where it all began for you, you know, your formative years, where you were born, what your parents did, what your family was like in your early life and so on. So yeah. perhaps we can start uh, talking about that. Yeah. I was born in Perth. In fact, I was born in um, the hospital that... Uh, it's a bit like Martyr in Perth, and it was uh, St John of God uh, Hospital Subiaco, uh, an iconic organisation um, and well known for its maternity services. Okay. So that rings a bell. Right. Uh, and I happened to become its CEO some years later. So, right. Uh, so I was born in a hospital I ended up being CEO at, uh, and that was uh, 52 and a bit years ago. Sure. Uh, and uh, it was a very different place then, of course. And I, I, my parents. Um, uh, were I guess what you'd call uh, middle class. Mm-hmm. Uh, our family was uh, middle class. Um, my father was a um, professional golfer. Um, okay. but he did not so much uh, tour golf, but um, uh, club golf. So he he spent a lot of his time teaching golf and right. uh, uh, and running a golf pro shop. Uh, mm-hmm. And and my mother um, was a mum for many years, but then uh, took herself off to university and. Uh, and did a number of courses culminating in a master's degree and she uh, she headed down the path of mostly of um, human resources uh, okay. at director level. So, okay. so um, and we grew up in um, a suburb in uh, Perth called Burragoon, which was pretty much surrounded by bush when we got there and, and nowadays is considered to be fairly close to the uh, CBD. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... Um, as I say, when we first built there, we built a new house. There were only a couple of others on the street, and uh, there was lots of bush to uh, uh, further south of us. And that was great, being a, a young sure. boy growing up in an area where uh, I wasn't gated in. I was allowed to uh, yep. to wander far and wide, and wander far and wide I did. Good for you. Yeah. And uh, brothers and sisters. Yeah, three sisters. Okay. Uh, no brothers. And uh, where did you, where were you in the? Uh, I was number. Order? I was number three. Number three. Yeah. Jeez. So, Two bossy older sisters, <laughs> and then a kid sister that came along seven years later. So, right. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah, they're um, uh, all going well. They're all teachers, okay. in fact, and two of them are teaching in Perth uh, in primary school, and the other one is uh, has been in Hong Kong for uh, a number of years as the vice principal of a uh, uh, college okay. uh, in Hong Kong. Right. And she's an English teacher by background. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's my family. Uh-huh. Still in close contact with all of them, except my mum. She died a couple of years ago, right? Uh, which was um, uh, the culmination of uh, of a couple of years of uh, a progressive neurological, a rare neurological condition, mm-hmm. which. Um, you wouldn't wish upon your worst enemy. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well. Uh, uh, and so, high school, local high school, and then um, uh, off to university straight from there. Yeah. So I went to the the local uh, state primary school and then the local state high school, um, and really terrific education uh, in those um, in both of those places, and uh, particularly in the in the uh, senior school. Uh, had uh, very high academic uh, um, results. Lots mm-hmm. of, you know, high percentage of uh, students from that school went on to uh, higher studies at mm-hmm. uh, university. So uh, back back in those days, and we're talking about the uh, about 1980 when I graduated from high school, so a long time ago. Um, we had 
there was only one medical school at the time at uh, University of Western Australia. It had about 90 places each year and mm -hmm. um, and nine of them came out of my year at that school. So wow. it was a big contribution to that uh, cohort of sure. uh, medical students that year. So you'd have to regard it as a, a pretty good school that can produce those uh, uh, results academically. Mm. So that was off to UWA. So yeah, I went straight from school to uh, university. And, mm. and when do you think it was that you decided that you wanted to be a doctor? Was that something you'd felt from a very early age or was that a later consideration? It was a later consideration and, and I'm uh, of the, um, I'm in that, um, uh, I guess, group of people that, that think that you're not necessarily ready to make those lifelong decisions at age mm. 16 or 17 or whatever sure. you happen to be when you finish um, high school. Um, and, and I think, uh, you know, a, a lot of universities recognise that these days and, mm. and rather than having undergraduate entry, they've got postgraduate entry. Mm -hmm. um, but it was, um, you know, it was an opportunity because I'd done well at uh, high school and, and I knew it was a, a vocation that um, uh, would provide uh, a wide range of potential opportunities and, uh, uh, and thoroughly enjoyed it. And really, you know, medicine is a, is mm. a great uh, craft to have, mm. uh, to have learnt. You meet some really fantastic people along the way and uh, lots of dedicated people whose um, sole reason for being is to help others. Mm -hmm. and, and, and would you have said that you were a very academic student at university or did you uh, enjoy the uh, excitement of being a young man uh, in a university as well? I was somewhere in between. <clears throat> okay. uh, so I wasn't... Um, you know, so naturally talented that I could get by without uh, doing any study. Sure. So I had to put the shoulder to the wheel. Um, probably um, not as much as some people, but uh, more than some others that were okay. exceptionally bright. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I, I think I found the balance between having a, a you know, a good university life experience and, mm -hmm. and also um, dedicating myself to making sure that I got through without ever failing any right. exams, which okay. I managed to do. So it was a six-year course back yes. in those days, yeah. and um, uh, and if you got uh, through every year without doing a supplementary examination uh, for whatever subject you might have failed at that particular moment in time, then you've done very well. And right. So that that's my record. I don't talk about it in terms of A's and B's and C's. Sure. I talk about it as getting through without... Uh, no supplementary. No subs. Right. So, yeah. And so uh, I, I know from uh, my friends who did medicine, it's a very, very intensive yeah. degree. There's not a lot of time to have part-time jobs and things on the way through. Yeah. Were you doing any work at the time or you're 100% focused on your studies? No, I was. I, I left home at 18 and so right. I was supporting myself, and uh, which meant I had to work. Sure. And so... At any one time, I usually had several jobs on the go, uh -huh. um, which I think was really healthy because it gives you, you know, a real sense of uh, the value of the dollar. And if you mm. have to work hard for it to pay the rent and sure. what little petrol you could afford, then uh, you know. And I did. I had to support myself. And uh, what sort of things were you doing? Well, I, lots of things. You know, I worked um, uh, as a kitchen hand in uh, in a restaurant. Uh, I think the job that I remember the most because it was so closely aligned with um, uh, the medical profession was that um, I worked after hours um, in the spinal unit in uh, the rehabilitation hospital that looked after major spinal injuries in, okay. in Perth uh, as a what they called a catheter technician. Right. Uh, 
um, and quadriplegic and paraplegic patients um, uh, who were still in hospital following their injury, um, they, um, many of them have um, no bladder control mm -hmm. and they're required to have uh, indwelling urinary catheters inserted on a regular basis and mm -hmm. so that their bladder doesn't stretch and cause damage. Uh, and so um, back in those days, they had a team of people, uh, you know, Monday to Friday, doing that as a job. Right. Uh, dealing with the patient or just dealing with the, uh, the technology? No, no, um, with the patient. Right. So, you know, a complete uh, sterile technique. Uh, right. Scrub up and okay. insert the indwelling catheter into, right. into the men. Uh-huh. And, um, uh, and um, that was my job for... Um, some after hours uh, shifts okay. for about three years. Right. Um, I had an equally interesting job. I worked as a theatre orderly for four years yeah, yeah. when I was uh, at a university. And one of the things that I had to do was to prep the men by shaving them before their operations. So uh, I can uh, uh, empathise with uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the lessons learned doing jobs <laughs> like that, that's for sure. It was, um, I was lucky because. Uh, uh, one of the key senior nurses on the service uh, was the mother of a girl I knew in school, so that was my contact for uh, getting the job. Right, which is how you got jobs back in those yeah, days. Yeah. It was who you knew, and sure. you know, not much has changed. And not much has changed. <laughs> but uh, the the really good thing about that job, apart from um, making you know a contribution to someone's recovery, uh, was that it prepared me for um, you know early um, in intern and residency mm. years because. Uh, you, you got used to um, having that, uh, you know, patient contact and bedside and, manner and bedside manner and mm. and technique mm. um, uh, that prepared you for what you needed to do when you got into uh, life in theatres and sure. the like. Yeah. And so, you know, day one, day one as an intern was scary enough, but at least if I got called to put in an indwelling catheter, I wasn't in the least bit right. concerned. Fair enough. Yeah, so okay, and so uh, you finish your degree. Uh, no supplementaries. Yeah. And, uh, and so what happened from there? So I went to um, a, uh, one of the tertiary hospitals in Perth. There were three at the time. Mm -hmm. um, Fremantle, Sir Charles Garden Hospital and Royal Perth. And so I went to the middle of those three, Sir Charles Garden Hospital, which is um, still there and on a big campus uh, called the QE2 campus in uh, in WA near Kings Park, which uh, I guess a few people who might have come from Queensland to uh, to Perth would know about, mm -hmm. uh, and that's that's a large tertiary and quaternary uh, hospital, and um, so I did uh, my time as an intern there, and then a resident there, and uh, and my favourite um, uh, rotations were in emergency medicine, so uh, they. Um, um, allowed me to become an emergency department registrar mm -hmm. uh, in my third year and so I did that for a while and loved it uh, and I, I think I loved it because um, you, you got uh, the opportunity to do the most amount in a short amount of to, to the, the most uh, intervention in a short amount of time mm. for a patient mm. who essentially came in off the street mm. either by car or by ambulance um, as distinct from um, seeing them on a ward where there's already been sure. a whole range of interventions, so great opportunity, and um, and it helped with leadership skills as well mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. uh, in those days there weren't too many consultants mm -hmm. on the floor. It was the registrar that pretty much ran the department, mm -hmm. uh, and I I got to get an interest in the way in which the department and the hospital functioned, mm -hmm. um, as well as 
the opportunity to uh, to treat patients that um, mm-hmm. presented to you, and uh, and I think that's probably where I got that interest in in management. Um, mm. So while I was um, uh, an emergency department registrar, I decided to take myself off to MBA school and um, do something completely different, but mm. learn about management and. Mm. And so that's how I ended up there. Sure. And you did that part-time whilst working full-time? I did. Right. Yeah. And uh, at that stage, uh, a family man or...? No, look, you you couldn't do uh, that with a family and family commitments um, unless you're really smart and and didn't need much sleep. Sure. And I wasn't that smart, and I, and I and I did need sleep. Right. So um, it's because I actually um, ended up doing the the MBA in about two and a half years, which is not much longer than a full time load. Yeah. Um, whilst uh, simultaneously working, mm. um, so it was pretty tiring. And and I take my hat off to anybody that can do that mm. with a family. Sure. Um, I, I that would have been beyond me. But, yeah. Um, back in those days, it was um, it was. Okay, I, I, I organised my social life around it. Mm-hmm. And was that uh, the MBA something that the hospital uh, uh, funded and and supported you, or, or you was completely self um, you were self motivated to do it? So no, self motivated to do it. Um, but um, back then, um, the uh, there, there wasn't a significant uh, cost to. Uh, those postgraduate right. studies. Okay. It, it, there was a few years later, and in mm. fact, I, I did a subsequent um, master's degree in public health and had to pay for uh, parts of that. Mm. Um, but uh, the MBA was—I um, don't think I had to put my hand in my pocket, which is a you know a great uh, testament wow. okay. to uh, to those that um, provided uh, sure. education back in those days and under. You know, quite different circumstances than mm. we see today. Mm. So I'm, you know, I'm I'm so lucky. I've had those opportunities that um, uh, that these days people have to uh, have the the financial wherewithal to get themselves through those. Mm. Oh, for sure. I, I did my uh, executive MBA in the early two thousands. I think at the time my course was thirty thirty five thousand. I think it's uh, uh, close to sixty now. So, yeah, it would be. I mean, yeah. it's a huge investment um, for sure. But. Yeah. Uh, you know, in many respects, a very worthwhile one, and it sounds as though you found the MBA very worthwhile for your career. Yeah, I, I, it was um, it was a great course, and you got to learn about a whole heap of things that you never touched on when you went sure. through medical school, and you also got to um, meet and relate to a range of professionals from mm-hmm. from across a broad spectrum of disciplines, um, which is different to spending your whole life um, being around. Uh, medical and, and clinical professionals in in hospitals uh, and gives you I think a different perspective on mm. things but but it was also instrumental in um, in allowing me to be prepared to be able to manage um, uh, hospitals large mm-hmm. or small or health services and do you think that when you went into doing that MBA you already had it in your mind that you were wanting to take your pathway down the the leadership rather than remaining in a sort of a practitioner type uh, yeah. Uh, capacity. Yeah, definitely. Right. Um, but um, but not necessarily in health. Mm-hmm. At that okay. uh, at that time, I thought, well, this is um, you know, I, I, I've got lots of opportunities to use these um, sure. skills that uh, I might develop through this education. Right. Um, but as it turns out, I stuck with health, mm. and, uh, and and I have no regrets about that. It's um, it's just a wonderful. Uh, um, you know, thing to be able to work in mm. in health, and it's so 
diverse and sure. never a dull moment. What do you think uh, would have been the other industries that you thought were quite exciting at the time? If you would made a move, what would it have been to? I never got to the point of thinking about what okay. industry I might, yeah. uh, uh, you know, I was just trying to find my way through the course day sure. in and day out and uh, I would have made up my mind towards the end of it, but by which time... I was still working in health, and mm-hmm. and I could see then that you mm. know I could create good opportunities by staying in health and yeah. utilising those skills. Okay, and so uh, what happened from there then? Yeah, so um, after well, I also um, did a fellowship. Um, there's a uh, there's a college like all of the other medical colleges that uh, focuses on medical management, mm-hmm. and so I did a fellowship um, with them. Uh, and that was a, a lead-in essentially to um, medical director type roles. So okay. I started off as a deputy medical director and uh, made my way up uh, through the ranks and um, uh, spent some time as a medical director. And um, Still at the same hospital? No, I, I worked in a range of different hospitals in, okay. in Perth in the metropolitan area. I never mm-hmm. worked outside of the metro area, which is... Um, uh, probably a, a missed opportunity because th- things are different in the bush mm-hmm. uh, and things are tougher. And maybe I didn't have the uh, courage to uh, go there and discover right. discover that. But Fair uh, enough. Uh, but no, a range of uh, hospitals in Perth, and um, uh, did that until um, I got an opportunity at a CEO role back when I was about thirty nine. I think. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And what was the first CEO gig then? That was to run the uh, the women's tertiary hospital and the kids tertiary hospital mm-hmm. um, in Perth at that time mm-hmm. uh, they were together uh, as one health service mm-hmm. uh, as well as some community-based paediatric and uh, uh, and maternity services but mm-hmm. um, the main focus was um, uh, at the tertiary facilities um, and a rather uh, an interesting introduction into CEO life um, because uh, one of those two hospitals had just been through a major inquiry. Okay. Uh, and um, as I walked through the front door on the first day, I was handed the uh, the recommendations and right. my responsibility was to get on with uh, implementing the uh-huh. 237 recommendations right. from the inquiry. And I imagine uh, 37 would have been regarded as quite young for a CEO. 39, I was. Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah, 39. 39. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah, probably So obviously was. You, were, you were well academically qualified. Yeah. But what do you think were some of the uh, other traits that you demonstrated that uh, enabled you to get that responsibility at that age? Um, look, hard work, to be honest, uh, and being prepared to take responsibility for things mm-hmm. and to take on... Um, more jobs and to get lots of uh, different experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I I had uh, you know terrific mentor um, uh, in the early days uh, at Royal Perth Hospital, or a couple of them, in fact, uh, and um, they uh, really gave me some opportunities to to test my mm-hmm. um, skills out and and lead me in the right direction to to being you know hardworking and dedicated and and um, and putting my hand up for things that were not necessarily the easiest things to do and mm. taking on those roles. Mm. And do you think uh, at the time you were being quite strategic in the way that you were managing your career? Uh, were you looking for those opportunities and making calculated decisions about them or did it kind of just happen by chance? I don't, I don't think it happened by chance. I wouldn't say I was completely calculating about it either. I, I, 
I was the, I'm the sort of person that I get into a job and I want to do a good job mm-hmm. in that role sure. and make a difference in that role and I'm not necessarily thinking about the next one. Mm. I'm, I am literally thinking about mm. making a difference mm. uh, and I'm strongly of the view that if you can't make a difference and, and you can't uh, pay for your salary pretty quickly, um, you know, then you're probably wasting your time and everybody else's. Fair enough. So, yeah, it was, it was very much a focus on, on doing something positive in the mm-hmm. role I was in uh, and then opportunities came up mm. um, and I think you get a reputation for for being a go-to person yep. and, and so you don't necessarily have to chase after the opportunities they come to you mm-hmm. because you seem to be someone who makes sure. can make a difference. You've built a personal brand. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so uh, you get into that role, you're given all of these uh, recommendations to implement and so on. So uh, how long were you in that role for? Not, not all that long. It was pro- probably just over a year and it was an intense year. Um, mm-hmm. And I have to say the paediatric hospital uh, I didn't spend a lot of time in because the maternity hospital was the one that had had some challenges that needed the recommendations implemented. And it was it was really challenging because, you know, there wasn't 100% support from everybody to, um, um, to the fact that the inquiry happened. It was mm-hmm. quite controversial at the time. And... Um, uh, but... Um, I considered that the that the recommendations were sound. They would take the organisation forward, and that uh, I would work with the clinicians and uh, the other staff to make sure that we implemented as many of them as we could. Mm-hmm. And it was not without its, um, you know, confrontations. Sure, uh, and had to make some hard decisions, and uh, and I think you know that was that was pretty tough, but mm-hmm. um, but it was a good. Uh, entree into mm. life as a CEO. Mm-hmm. And so what took you out of that role in only 12 months then? <laughs> um, well, back then, the arrangement in the public um, hospital um, sector was that the then Director General could move you about at his, okay. or, his or her will. Right. And, and he had a particular uh, issue that he wanted um, um, sorted so that made him uh, move some of us around. In okay. fact, there was quite a domino of movements. Right. And I ended up um, going where I actually um, had my first preference to go to, which was um, to the South Metropolitan Health Service mm-hmm. um, and based at a uh, hospital called Fremantle Hospital, which mm-hmm. is in the heart of yeah. Fremantle. It um, was obviously home to the America's Cup. Sure. And, um, uh, and that was... A couple of minutes from home for me, so that was home territory. Right. So I was uh, responsible as the boss of that hospital, then um, the chief executive for the area health service, which comprised probably another half a dozen hospitals mm-hmm. and, and community-based health services. Right. And By this stage, you were 40, early 40s. Yeah, early 40s. Right, yeah. okay. And, um, and, I, and I took on probably too many other... Um, responsibilities, sort of statewide uh, responsibilities at the time. Um, and it was it was a great time and a, and a really busy time. Um, and it turns out that uh, the local member at um, uh, for Fremantle was the health minister. Right. And uh, so he had an interest both in health generally and in what happened in his uh, mm-hmm. local electorate. So he pretty much had me on speed dial. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... Uh, but he was an incredibly effective uh, minister and very highly regarded. Was uh, briefly um, 
um, lead the opposition party there, um, but uh, spent a long time in mm. senior ministerial portfolios. Mm. And I had a lot of respect for him and... Uh, and uh, in fact, when I left that job and took an opportunity in the private sector, he was one of my uh, referees. Okay, yeah. sure. It's not uh, not common to use a to use a politician for a uh, referee, but he mm. was. Uh, we had a good relationship, and mm. uh, I think we worked really well together. Well, certainly, uh, as a CEO, having to manage relationship with your chair and the board uh, can be challenging at times. I imagine add into the mix. Uh, uh, government as well, and that must make it a you know quite a convoluted and uh, challenging uh, negotiation process to get the sort of outcomes you need and and meet the needs of all of those stakeholders. Yeah, particularly in the public sector, you've got so many different stakeholders, and mm. and um, at the same time, you're trying to do the best for patient care and and support your clinicians in doing what they do best. Um, so it it is incredibly complex. Um, and that, but that's health, and that's uh, always been the case, and mm-hmm. I suspect always will be the case. And sometimes we uh, we think that there's far too much uh, politics in health, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, and you can you can get frustrated by that. But um, but having said that, I completely understand why mm-hmm. they they are because it's you know it's a big portfolio for government. It mm-hmm. consumes more than a quarter of any state budget, sure. um, and uh, so. And and you know there there are very high community expectations mm. about their health services and 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 politicians um, as a consequence need to get involved. Mm-hmm. It's a contentious issue. <laughs> There's plenty of contentious issues in health. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, you're there, and then if I can uh, read correctly, you moved from the uh, the south to the north. No, I moved from south to the private sector. Okay. Yeah, so um, I was. Um, encouraged to apply for um, uh, the chief executive role of um, uh, St John of God Hospital right. Subiaco, which where is where I was born. Right, it's, okay. the, it's the flagship of uh, the St John of God Healthcare Group. Okay. And a few of the old nurses recognise you. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, no, mostly because back in the days I was born, it was the sisters that right. were doing, doing yeah. all the work. Uh, but um, so that was... Uh, that that's a, a bit like the Mater. Yeah. It's it's an iconic organisation in mm-hmm. WA, and uh, and to be given that uh, opportunity, it's not one that you uh, mm. you'd spend too much time thinking about whether you'll say yes or no. You, sure. you go for it with um, you know both feet uh, forward. Uh, and I spent eight over eight years there. Mm-hmm. Uh, what tr- were some of the biggest uh, differences you noted moving from the public to the private sector in terms of? How you operated as a leader? Uh, there's a there's an important and perhaps subtle to some people distinction in that um, you, the the medicos the medical um, specialists are uh, very much uh, one of your customers in the in the private sector. Mm-hmm. Uh, in so far as they're not your employees, right. uh, they uh, choose to uh, come and work at your sure. hospital and um, uh, and. What you want to do is attract the very best ones and to make sure that you can help to support their uh, their aspirations and their mm-hmm. business. Uh, and so I think that relationship uh, mm. at a sort of chief executive to to specialist medical practitioner mm. um, level is um, is a bit different to mm-hmm. when you're in the public sector and you're all part of you mm-hmm. know, the salaried workforce. 
you, you can make more of that than perhaps is a true distinction, mm -hmm. um, but it is. But it's important uh, in the in the private sector, and mm. uh, and also the other important things in the private sector are, are very much being a good steward of your resources mm -hmm. uh, and you know needing. You know, it's not acceptable to uh, uh, to run deficits. You've got to make sure that you're returning, um, even if you're in a not-for-profit organisation, you're returning some some margins to be able to reinvest into the mission of the organisation and to and to replace equipment and capital and all those sorts of things. So there was more of a concerted focus on on management uh, of the of the efficiency of the mm. organisation than, than okay. probably back in those days compared to the public system. Right. And so how did you have to adapt your style um, to suit that then? Did you notice that uh, you had to be quite conscious of, uh, of in some respects, uh, re-engineering the way that you ran a business or was it quite um, uh, an easy transition for you? Uh, well, I thought at the time it was um, there weren't so many differences that the transition was difficult. I, I, <laughs> I have to reflect, and this is probably symptomatic of the main difference, that um, I said to my executive at the new job when I'd been there about a week, um, why haven't why hasn't there been a crisis in the last week? And, right. And uh, because you're just so used to to having to, sure. you know, a lot of what happens in. Uh, in the in the large uh, tertiary, you know, public sector, health sector, is reactionary to what is going on. Mm -hmm. um, whereas you've got you've got much more uh, much more of an opportunity to uh, think about how you take the organisation forward, plan for it, and deliver uh, in accordance with those plans. Mm -hmm. You've got more time to do that, and um, it's it's much more like you'd expect a business to be run, mm. a good business to be mm -hmm. run. Um, uh, and less reactionary. Right. And, and eight years in that role? Eight years in that role. It's the longest I've stayed in any role and and um, I probably would have um, uh, left a little earlier um, because I'm, I'm the sort of person that believes that, you know, if you've been in a job for four or five years, mm -hmm. uh, unless things are changing mm -hmm. or you have an opportunity to change things, that you can start to look a bit insular mm. uh, and um, and you need to be prepared to give uh, somebody else with a new set of eyes mm -hmm. um, over an organisation mm. the opportunity to uh, take it to the next level. But what happened um, is that that opportunity came up to, uh, to get involved in something else that was significant in the organisation and that was our first foray into a uh, public-private partnership. Um, okay. So we... Um, as a uh, led by the group or uh, national chief executive, uh, Dr. Michael Stanford, uh, uh, along with the board and the trustees of the organisation, basically said, um, "Here's an opportunity for our first public-private uh, partnership to to build and operate a publicly funded uh, hospital, right. uh, and that's at a place called Midland in in Perth. And um, uh, so we were uh, we." Uh, put together a team that focused on putting together a bid that eventually uh, was the bid that got shortlisted and then won. Wow. And, um, uh, and I imagine that was not an insignificant amount was, of money. And, and it was not an insignificant amount of effort as I'm well. Sure. Yeah, so it was it was um, substantial um, effort and risk. And mm -hmm. um, uh, but but the trustees and the board of the organisation. Um, were very keen for us to be able to um, uh, 
to win that bid, to, really to demonstrate that you know the mission of the organisation mm. wasn't just about private mm. healthcare provision; it was about um, you know ha having an option for the marginalised and, and the not sure. so well off as well. And in that tender process, what was your responsibility? Uh, well, I was one of um, probably three or four of the key executives that uh, headed it up and okay. uh, got got involved a lot in the preparation mm -hmm. of the of the tender documents. I was involved um, intimately in the negotiations okay. once we'd been shortlisted with uh, with government at mm -hmm. the time. And you enjoyed that? It, well, it was it was a new experience for me, right. and it was uh, it was really uh, it, it was. It was busy and challenging, but it was great fun to, uh, mm. to again, uh, learn from people who had different experiences. Okay. And um, we won the bid and uh, we uh, took it forward from there and uh, it happens that it, it it's due to open next month. Right. So it's a 367-bed uh, okay. hospital and... Um, you're going back to see them come well I've, I've just received the, my invitation to come and I hope I can make it but, right. uh, but uh, you know I might uh, have duties here that sure. uh, take preference but it'd be a proud to, moment though yeah and and the story gets a bit uh, more complicated because uh, when I took my last job mm -hmm. I, so I left there um, having won that we, we won that bid and and um, we worked towards uh, um, you know, gearing up for the for the delivery of the uh, facility, uh, and and I was encouraged by the then Director General of Health to uh, put my hand up for a a uh, role uh, back in the public sector as the Chief Executive of the North Metropolitan right. Health Service, and as it turns out, uh, part of my portfolio in that role right. uh, was that that uh, Midland right. project. So okay. I went to the other side of uh -huh. the uh, the negotiating table, if you like. But but it, but the thing about PPPs is um, you've got to underline the last one, and that's mm. partnership. Sure. Uh, so it's very much about partnership and, mm -hmm. and, and trying to support the organisation mm -hmm. that's uh, that's really um, you know put their hand up to uh, to make a fist mm. of uh, that opportunity. Mm. And so I'm interested. You're in the public sector. You went out into the private sector. Going back into public. Yeah. Did you get any sort of, you know, uh, crashing realisations of, wow, now I'm back here, far out, I forgot, you know, what that was like? or I did. Yeah, I bet. I did, yeah. yeah. My wife told me not to do it. Right. And uh, and, and then spent a whole time saying, I told you so. <laughs> wife's, wife's a good luck. Like yeah, you? and that was because by then I had a young family and it was um, it was pretty tricky to, mm. uh, to spend... Um, quality time with them because the demands of the sure. public sector role were so significant at a mm. CEO level. Even more than being a CEO plus working on that PPP? Oh, well, the combination of those things made us made us really busy, mm. um, but um, uh, th there's a different sort of um, pressure on you in the mm. public sector that mm. uh, uh, I guess uh, it can be more draining of your energy mm -hmm. uh, because... Uh, uh, you know, there's there's lots of complex relationships, mm. and you've got to deal with uh, the media and the politics mm, and, sure. and all that. And, and what about the attitudinal things? I mean, uh, uh, public services stigmatised as being full of you know grey cardigan wearing uh, yeah. people who are um, generally you know, lazy and uh, very resistant to change and so on. Did you find going back in that that was your realisation too, or was it something different to that? No, completely different. Right. Um, and 
I'll start by saying um, my time in health in the public sector has been working in a health service or a hospital mm. uh, or the interface between sure. them. Uh, and I, I can tell you the very great majority of people that, uh, that worked um, in those um, environments are highly dedicated, mm. highly trained, hard-working people mm. who are underpaid. Right. Do you think that's because people are drawn to that work because they have this... Uh, desire to be of service and, and yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah the great, the, most people that I've um, worked with or had contact with are there for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. um, they're not there for a, a cruisy public sector ride. Sure. Uh, if they were, they'd be in for a big shock because mm. um, that's not how it is. No. Yeah. So how long were you uh, in that role then? A couple of years and then, then this one right. um, put its uh, head above the parapet and... Yeah. and uh, uh, John O'Donnell was the uh, chief executive here for 14 years and mm -hmm. uh, I knew John um, uh, particularly through our uh, links in Catholic health yep. uh, and I had a lot of uh, respect and time for John. He's a very, very um, well-known uh, and respected and admired uh, health uh, manager, administrator, mm -hmm. CEO. Uh, and um, <clears throat> when I heard he'd uh, decided after 14 years to uh, uh, take other pursuits, um, I was pretty quick to get on the phone to him and, and he said, um, you know, I'd be delighted if you applied and, mm -hmm. by the way, it's the best health job in the country. Right. So that's a good uh, right. recommendation. And was the uh, the recruitment run through an external third-party recruiter? Yeah, yeah, okay. it was. It was run by a firm called C-Centric. C-Centric? Yeah. I don't know them. Okay. Yeah. So... How did you find that? That that was a very, very professional um, exercise. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, was very well handled. And, and why do you think uh, you obviously had a good re a relationship with the uh, incumbent or exiting CEO? Yeah. Um, uh, no doubt your CV spoke volumes in terms of your uh, your academic and professional successes, but it, I'm sure that there were many, many competent people that came to the table for this opportunity. But what do you think it was that uh, enabled you to secure it? Oh, um, <laughs> Dumb luck, I suspect. No, I, I um, uh, the interview process was um, was a, about an hour and a half mm -hmm. with uh, seven of the nine board members right. for the organisation. So that's pretty intense. Sure. Uh, it also involved uh, some hours of uh, psychometric testing mm -hmm. uh, and the usual array of um, referees. Um, but um, uh, it was a great interview process um, in in as much as. Uh, the board chair uh, sent you the the sent me the um, or sent all of the applicants the the strategy for the organisation which mm -hmm. had just been um, refined and um, and the invitation at interview was to talk about that strategy talk about where um, uh, I thought uh, it had strengths and where there were opportunities to uh, to do more mm -hmm. uh, and whether there were any components missing or whether it uh, whether in my view it um, it was a good strategy uh, and that's um, uh, that took up a, a fair bit of the interview time but I, th I thought it was a great uh, you know in instead of just asking the usual questions mm. that you get at the interview sure it was an opportunity to talk about what mark you might put on the right. organization what you might bring to it to to make it uh, successfully deliver on mm. its uh, plans that's interesting and so uh, did you find that when uh, you were successful in getting the role and you came in, 
was the mandate for what you needed, what was expected for you to achieve in line with the strategy uh, recommendations that you had made, or was it somewhat different to that? Uh, no, the uh, my my assessment was the strategy was very sound, okay. uh, and um, uh, I I had some questions about um, uh, some detail, but mm -hmm. but the, the overall strategy was very sound, and, and the organisation is is rightfully at a place where it needs mm. to embrace that strategy to take it to the next, even mm. to the next level. Mm -hmm. uh, so you know, a lot of thought went into it, mm -hmm. uh, and it was about. Um, uh, it involved, um, you know, board and executive members travelling internationally to to find out how top tier organisations yeah. are working in yeah. health, uh, and so it it wasn't one of those. Well, let's get into this service or that service. Sure. It's, it's let's let's see what the top tier organisations are doing and see yeah. if we can we can um, head in that direction mm. and emulate uh, world's emulate, best practice. Emulate world's best practice. Yeah. 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 I cover it. And so it's a, it's a really good time to actually be having this conversation because uh, CEOs getting in new roles, I mean, they talk about the first 90 days <laughs> uh, and you're literally right on sort of, you know, that uh, uh, the cusp of that time, I suppose. So um, how did you plan your first 90 days? What were the things that you set up at the beginning for this particular period, yeah, I'm I'm a bit of a slow learner, right? I, I um, or, or on a slow burn, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't make um, a comprehensive assessment of uh, a complex organisation in a short space of time. Mm. And I think you're kidding yourself if you think you can. Mm. Uh, you can see where there are some uh, some clear things that uh, need attention, but. Um, um, but I'm the sort of person that really needs to to feel an organisation for a while before I can um, um, have clarity about how to deal with right. you know, particular challenges. So it's more like 270 days well, rather than 90 days. You're not given the luxury of 270 sure. days. Yeah. You know, but um, uh, but I but I have been given the luxury by the board of. Um, of taking the time to, uh, you know, even post appointment of taking the time to, to think my way through the strategy and, mm. and to think about how we might go approaching mm. it and and to, uh, to get to know the organisation. Mm. Yeah. So without breaching any confidential uh, information, I mean, what is the mandate? Well, you've been you've been brought in here. You're a new CEO. Uh, what have the board sort of said to you? Okay, um, this is what we want. Well, what they want is delivery on the strategy, and mm -hmm. um, that uh, has a number of features. But at the heart of it is that to get to uh, to to continue that journey uh, to being a top tier healthcare organisation, um, it, it was clear that uh, there's a need to bring together some elements of the organisation and integrate them even more closely than mm -hmm. they had been. The, uh, and by that I mean um, the integration of uh, the health care that we provide with uh, the research that uh, the organisation undertakes and the education elements mm. of the organisation. Uh, the great the great part is the the pieces of the puzzle are in the organisation, mm -hmm. uh, and and there has been great progress in integrating them, and so it's really a continuation of of that journey. Mm -hmm. uh, and as part of that. Um, uh, there, there's uh, a need because because we 
effectively lost a, a, a reasonable size of our a component of our business in mm. in the public kids mm -hmm. we've got a need to regenerate uh, revenue sources mm -hmm. um, um, so that we uh, you know have a have a margin that enables us to reinvest in our mission sure so that's one of the mm. one of the key challenges mm. is, is that um, balance between revenue and expenditure mm -hmm. to make sure that we've got the opportunity to uh, uh, to do things like we've done recently with um, with Springfield. Yeah, and uh, I do business in Perth. Uh, I know many people who do business in Perth, and uh, when they go over there, there very much uh, is this sense that the Western Australian community is pretty parochial, and <laughs> and uh, if you haven't done it in Perth, then uh, you're seen as a, a bit of an intruder. Uh, how do you rate the coming the opposite direction? What's been the the level of um, welcoming that you've received coming from Perth into the Brisbane environment? Uh, I've got to say it's been exemplary. Uh, I found the um, people of Brisbane and Queensland um, and all of the people in the organisation that I'm heading up to be um, really warm, welcoming. Um, you know they don't treat they don't treat me like the the leper from the other side of the uh, the country, which um, <laughs> perhaps some people that have come from the east to the west mm -hmm. think think has been the case. Um, but um, you know I've had uh, apart from a, a warm welcome from the staff and the executive uh, a, a board that has been um, you know second to none, and mm. and they have really uh, made that transition um, really positive for me. So, um, uh, Shane, uh, obviously it's a funny time to ask a question, brand new in a new role, but when you look out into the future in terms of your own career, mm -hmm. if we think maybe 10 years from now, you know, what are the kind of things that you'd like to do uh, in that period? Where do you see yourself uh, really growing in terms of your own career potential? Uh, well, I'm really keenly looking forward to you know, a good number of years here in this organisation because there's just so many opportunities. Uh, and, um, uh, and and I think particularly because this is an organisation that has a great combination of, uh, of health and hospital elements that I talked about earlier in the podcast. Um, so you, you kind of get everything in this job uh, and it's not like you need to go off and get some public sector experience mm -hmm. and then go off and get some sure. private sector experience. Yep. So you, you're getting it all, mm. research, institute, public, private, mm -hmm. uh, you know, pathology, um, education, the whole, the whole kit and caboodle. So um, I'm not thinking, as I indicated earlier, I'm not sitting here thinking no. about my ne next career move. I've only just got here and I, and I want to make a difference yep. here and I want to spend a good period of time here in, uh, in trying, trying my best to, uh, to make a difference mm. and take the organisation forward. Um, longer term, um, probably like my predecessor, I've you know, I've got an interest in um, in uh, company director roles, mm -hmm. uh, and I think um, I'll get good experience, uh, particularly as we have some sub subsidiaries in this organisation that mm -hmm. I have that uh, role to fulfil. Um, and um, beyond that, I don't know. Mm. Is the short answer. You've uh, some quality quality time with the sure. family. Yeah, obviously yeah. you've got some. Uh, Obviously, some children. I've got two little ones. Yeah, right. started fairly late, and uh -huh. my wife's a bit younger than me. So, okay. Yeah. How old are they? 
uh, a little boy, Ethan, is seven, and right. our little girl, Kristen, is five. Okay, oh, yeah. good. I've got an eight-year-old and a three-year-old. I started late, too. You started late as well. <laughs> you, know, you know what it's like. I sure do. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a reason why people have kids young. Yeah, because uh, they've got the energy. That's right. Yeah. Uh, uh, You've invested a lot in terms of your professional education. You've yeah. uh, no doubt um, uh, thought about whether you've got an interest in doing any more formal education in the future. Is there anything on your radar that you're excited about potentially doing? Um, not in terms of going back to university and mm-hmm. struggling through another no, course. Sure. Yeah, I've had um, you know support to go and do short uh, mm-hmm. pieces of uh, education. Um, for example. Uh, did a couple of Harvard courses, okay. um, the, the week-long ones that they do yep. um, uh, a couple of years ago, and they're terrific, um, those sorts of things where you get to um, interact with uh, and meet people mm-hmm. with different and diverse experiences, who, you know, particularly those professors at Harvard that uh, sure. the peak of their uh, uh, you know, um, expertise and mm. um, that that sort of thing mm. excites me, so mm. I'll keep an eye out for ones that yep. uh, I can hopefully get the support to go to. Great. Yeah. So for people who are listening into the podcast, yep. uh, if you were to distill uh, the leadership wisdom that you've developed yourself and learned over the years and you were offering advice to them about how to take their careers to their full potential, and and particularly because we're talking about people in the leadership space, how to really succeed in the role of leader, what would you have to say? Look, I think you have to be prepared for hard work. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not not a nine-to-five job. Um, There are sacrifices that you have to make Mm. uh, in order to to get to where you want to go, and um, you've... You've got to go about that in a in a you know a considered way, and I think um, to bring humility to any role that you're in is going to get you a lot further than, than mm. having an you know an arrogant advancement in your profession. Uh, I think you need to uh, understand and respect uh, what it is that the people in your organisation are doing every day, uh, and that it's it's not about them it's about uh, their customers or in our case our patients sure uh, and and i think you've got to realize that um uh, in this day and age uh, and in these sorts of organizations and in this sort of industry uh, that servant leadership is uh, is really important it's not it's not a top-down um, this is how you will do it approach it's uh, it's much more providing for the environment, for mm. the organisation and the people within it to flourish. Mm. Was the expression you used, serving leadership? Servant leadership. Oh, servant leadership. Yeah. I've never yeah. heard that expression before. Uh, it, it may be um, maybe something out of Catholic social teaching right. that uh, I learned in a previous organisation. Right. I like it. Yeah, it's, mm. uh, it's, it's recognising that um, you're there for the organisation yeah. to be able to fulfil its um, mm. its goals. Right. Not uh, you're not there to bark the orders. Fair enough. Is yeah. there a part of you that misses being on the tours and actually uh, having that patient interface? Yeah, the whole time I well, nearly uh, the whole time I was at St John's in Subi. So for several years, um, uh, one afternoon a week, I uh, joined my uh, colleague, a colleague of mine who was a colorectal surgeon in his theatre list and. Mm-hmm. I was his assistant for, okay. the, for the afternoon once a week, um, which which was really good because um, apart from allowing me to get out of the office, uh, it I could 
I was mixing with people at the coalface where it was all happening. Mm -hmm. uh, I could hear what their issues were. I could see how the place functioned. Um, but most importantly, it gave me perspective. Uh, and mm. you know, plenty of times we're deep inside someone's abdomen who's got sure. a who's got a cancer that you know and they could be a, a young person and, mm. and often were. And it really, you know, you walk out of there thinking, well, those problems I thought I had in the mm. office this morning mm. have just shrunk. Gives you uh, perspective. Gives you great perspective. Yeah, sure. So, and, and that was great fun. Um, it's hard to find the time to do that in, okay. a, in a busy job, mm. uh, but uh, I wouldn't uh, say that I'm never going to do it again. I, mm. If I get the time, I will, because mm. uh, I think it is, it's a very levelling experience. Mm. And as you say, it's hard work. You obviously work long hours. When you're not at work, what are the kind of things uh, you like to get up to? Well, um, with a young family, uh, it's pretty much determined for you, as sure. you know. Yeah. Uh, I'm a... Prior to the young family, I'm an avid golfer. So, okay. uh, you know, as I said earlier, my father was a golf professional. I grew up on golf courses helping out, mm -hmm. you know, caddying and doing greenskeeping jobs and, mm -hmm. and uh, picking up range balls, those sorts of things. So right. I pretty much grew up on, okay. on a golf course and uh, love to get out there and uh, haven't done it much since the kids right. have come along. But my wife has hinted that... Uh, permission might be about to be uh, provided again. Oh, for, is she a golfer as well? She's not, but right. um, uh, I think she uh, she's thinking, as I am, that um, uh, one of them at least is getting old enough to take out there with me. And, okay. And uh, no doubt the second will follow. Right, and chase the plovers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's lots of great courses here, and uh, I'm sure there's lots of people who would love to uh, introduce you to their clubs, and uh, uh, there's some um, uh, very eminent Brisbane professionals who uh, golf uh, regularly, uh, yeah. whereas it seems that cycling is becoming the new golf, uh, yep. but you I'm, haven't made it to being a middle-aged man in Lycra I'm, yet. I'm not a mammal. No. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> no, I'm, I work very hard to be tolerant when they're in the middle of the road and I'm driving along, right. um, but uh, I haven't got my... In fact, I do have a bike, but it's got a little bit of an electric battery attached to right. it, so to go up the hills. Right, very good. Well, before we wind it up, uh, Shane, uh, is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we haven't or any final comments you'd like to add? Uh, Richard, I think you've exhausted me. So, ah, no, it's been, a, it's been great talking to you today and, uh, and I hope that, um, uh, that uh, there have been people listening that um, get the sense that there's a lot to be had in a, in a senior health role. Sure. Uh, and it's worth the, uh, the effort to get there and it's a... It's a fantastic journey and it's a it's an experience that um, as I say in in this role there's never a dull moment mm -hmm. uh, there are different things every day and um, if you can come get out of bed to come to work and and you're keen to do that and you're really looking forward to what what uh, challenges might come your way on that day then you can't ask for much more out of a out of a working life. Fair enough. Well, yeah. thanks again for your time. And uh, for those people listening in, we'll put a link to uh, uh, Shane's LinkedIn profile, although it might need a little bit of an upgrade. Uh, <laughs> and uh, also a link to the Marta for those people who aren't familiar. And uh, so thanks very much. Have a great afternoon. It's a pleasure talking to you. Thanks, Richard. Cheers. Well, another great podcast, and certainly I thought that Shane was a fascinating guest, and it was really interesting to have a chat to him about his career, and particularly to capture him 90 days into his new role, which uh, is a particular milestone for CEOs 
the first 90 days are a critical one and certainly it was interesting to have a chat to him you know right at this pivotal moment in his new career as CEO of the Marty Health Services. One of the things I thought was uh, great about the discussion is you know Shane being pretty pragmatic in saying that in order to achieve his success he had to work very hard and I'm sure that everybody who has achieved similar things in their career would agree that it's not an easy ride and a lot of sacrifice is required if you want to achieve the sort of career outcomes that Shane Kelly and my other guests have. Um, and so I think there's a lesson there for all of us, one that is worth keeping in mind. Enjoy the rest of your day and I look forward to engaging with you in future Arate podcasts Thanks very much for your attention and have a wonderful day.